0: All right, thanks Shelly. Well, good morning everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we are on week number three of a series that we're doing here at, at Ignite called um, Encountering Jesus. And throughout this series, we are doing everything possible to help you and all of us sort of walk through the Gospel of Luke. It's the story uh, from the Bible. It's it's about the life, the ministry, uh, the death, and sort of spoiler alert, the resurrection of Jesus, right, from the dead. And so, uh, and so we are walking through this as and uh, we're, we're praying and hoping that as we um, walk through the, this daily, we've got daily devotionals that we're doing, so we're taking a step a, a, step a day uh, through this gospel, we're doing small groups on this, we're preaching on it on Sunday mornings, and our prayers really that it, it wouldn't be, um, you know, words that were written 2,000 years ago, uh, but that really as we dig into his word, um, that we would hear the living God speak to us, and that we would come to know and love Jesus more, that he would. Uh, come alive to us and that we would encounter him more. And so I hope it's been a good ride for you uh, so far. Uh, I've been hearing stories already about ways that God is speaking and uh, ways that God is at work in people uh, of Ignite here as we are taking these steps, as we are opening up God's word and getting to know him more. This week in our growth group, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, how sometimes God doesn't give us what we want but sometimes he gives us what we need, right? And we, we spent quite a bit of time going around and telling stories uh, about um, you know, different things that have happened in our lives, people losing jobs, for instance, or people walking through uh, really hard times, hard seasons of their life. And we were just talking about how so often those things, I mean, that, it's something that we would never in a million years wanna choose. We wouldn't have signed up for that if there was a sign-up sheet, and yet it was in those times where just kind of spent some time talking about how the living God showed up in those times and where he did a work in us. Maybe he freed us from some sin or some beliefs or some junk from our past and allowed us to, to walk into greater levels of freedom. Or maybe uh, we, rec- we came to recognize his presence through those things, ways that we had never known God before, but now we we discovered a new depth to our faith and a new uh, freshness in our walk with God because of that particular season. It wasn't something we wanted, it wasn't something that we would have signed up for, and yet God met us there, and uh, what he did in us was exactly what we needed in those seasons. Well, I think the same is true uh, with the Bible, and uh, even with the nature of God himself. Throughout this series, we're sort of zooming in on one particular attribute, one particular aspect of who Jesus is every single Sunday. Kind of how Luke comes to see and know who Jesus is. And almost all of them, <laughs> you can see where this is going, almost all of them are fun and encouraging. Almost all of them are life-giving kind of stuff. Um, I mean, let me give you some examples. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, sort of the missionary, the one that came from heaven to seek and to save the lost. And, and by the way, who's included in the lost? All of us, right? He came to save us, to seek and to save us. And then he sends us out. He empowers us fills us with his spirit and sends us out to make a difference in this world. It's, it's a fun one. It's encouraging. The living God wants to use you. Is that not a cool message? You think, hey, that's awesome. He wants to use you to change people's lives and turn to, to make a difference in our world and on our planet. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus, the miracle worker and the healer. And man, that's fun, right? Sign me up for that one, right? Being reminded that Jesus can come and he touches people that s- sometimes are without hope. We think there is no way. No way possible that they could ever see again or walk again or whatever. And he steps in and miraculously heals. And, man, that's going to be a fun one. On uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about King Jesus, right? Jesus is a king, and that's going to be fun. And, I mean, we know the story, like palm branches, waving and all that. That's going to be a fun one. It's a celebration kind of one. Uh, on Good Friday, even, we're going to celebrate and remember Jesus the Savior, Jesus the sacrifice for our sin. And, man, if ever there was good news, right, there is good news there because he has opened up a way for us to be forgiven. For us to be free, for us to come back to the Father. Again, tremendously good news. And I, I'll tell you what, I am so thankful for that each one of those things is an aspect of who Jesus is. I, I would be the first one to say, "Yes, yeah, sign me up for all of those, right? That's the good stuff right there. Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the one that heals us and frees us and guides us. And those are great things, a huge, huge pieces of who Jesus is. They are all true. And I am so glad But here's the thing, it's not all of who Jesus is, is it? There are other parts of who Jesus is that are a little bit less comfortable for us, a little bit less fun. Parts of Jesus, parts of who God is that are perhaps what we need or perhaps, I mean, just true of who he is. And yet maybe not exactly things that we would sign up for, things that we are all that comfortable with. And today I want us to zero in on one of those kind of things. I'm going to ask you to stick with me, but we're going to talk about Jesus, the prophet, and Jesus, the judge. And we see this all over the Gospel of Luke, and so I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, And I think by the end, I think you'll see uh, that not only is uh, this who Jesus is, but it's also, what we need. Reminded of this morning. I think we put this into uh, the devotional. It's one of the books that we wrote uh, for this whole thing. But I can remember hearing a quote one time that said, uh, God made man in his own image and man returned the favor, right? And what what it's saying is it's saying, Uh, you know, we have this sort of uncanny ability to want to turn God into somebody that's safe and comfortable and that does exactly what it is that we want him to do. And we can pretend that if we want. But it doesn't really change who God is, does it? Even if parts of the Gospel of Luke, even if parts of the Bible make us uncomfortable and make us squirmy a little bit or whatever, we don't really get to pick who it is that Jesus is. We don't get to pick what truths he taught or what values he embraced or lifted up or passed on to his disciples and therefore onto us. One such example, I read this week uh, that 74% of Americans believe in a literal heaven but only 40% believe in a literal hell. Isn't that interesting? Now, is that be- do you think that's because there's a, a, a mountain of evidence that would suggest that hell doesn't exist, but heaven does? Do you think that's based on the evidence? What do you think? Not a chance. Why do you think that is? Because we don't want to think we're going... The the entire idea of hell makes us uncomfortable, and so we just sort of say, well, I don't really believe in that, right? I don't really believe in that, but we don't get to choose. In fact, it's fascinating, but if you look through the Gospels, Jesus taught twice as often about hell as he did on heaven. The only one that would actually know if heaven and hell existed came and taught people, and he said, you know what? These are real places. Hell is real. Heaven is real. And you got to... You don't have to be afraid of it, but you do have to be ready. That's sort of the point that I want us to kind of zoom in on today. We don't necessarily get to choose, but I want us to look at this truth of who Jesus is and what it is that he taught in regards to uh, to this whole idea of eternity and what that means for us. So with your permission, I'm going to ask that, that I'm just going to try it. Push us kind of hard on this one for just a little bit, then I'll come back and I'll sort of balance it out. I'll set up the readings that we're going to be going through for this next week, which has which is just filled with this sort of uh, this sort of stuff and just this whole idea of being ready, this tension between Jesus, the uh, the Savior and the loving God, and even the shepherd on the one hand, but also Luke holds on to this on the other hand, that he's also the judge, he is also the true bringer, right? He is also the prophet warning us and telling us to turn back to God. And so that's kind of what we're going to camp out on today. Like I said, I'm going to push, but I think, uh, I think you'll you'll see how this applies in just a minute. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 16. We're going to jump ahead actually two weeks in the reading, and I'm going to use this passage to prep us for what we're going to be reading in our daily devotions in the upcoming week. In this passage, Jesus is teaching his followers tells a story, it tells a parable about a rich man and the rich man's servant named Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verse, uh, starting with verse 19, you can also follow along in the app, you can add church on the screens if you'd rather. It says this, just to listen, let this paint a picture in your mind. Jesus says this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Can I just say, that's nasty. Is that nasty? Nasty. Verse 22 says, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. This a picture of heaven, right? The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where uh, he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in such agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those even who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, uh, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, hey, they have Moses and the prophets, let him listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if somebody from the dead goes to them, they will repent, they will turn back to God. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. You see any foreshadowing there? They're not going to be convinced even if the Son of Man, the Son of God, dies and rises from the dead. Now again, this is probably not uh, on your favorite Bible passages list. I bet, I bet you guys don't have this. like. In a picture form, like up on your wall or something. This isn't one of those that we would probably choose. But Jesus teaches it, and Luke includes this teaching, and many others like it for a specific reason. And here's the reason. You'll hear me say these words a lot today. But the reason that he paints this picture and he says this thing is, is this. Be ready. Right? It's, it's so that you and I and every person that hears them could live their lives in such a way that they are ready for eternity. Be ready. Make sure you live your life for the day when you die, or the day that Jesus returns. You don't know the day or the hour, so be ready. I, uh, I was thinking uh, and just remembering I the last couple of days I sat in the hospital with somebody uh, that had been shot. And I was it just, as I was prepping this message, this is just circling over and over in my head, and, uh, I was just thinking, man, do you think he saw it coming? Do you think he had any idea? He got up, he went through his day the way he goes through every day, I'm sure. Did whatever he was going to do. Never once assuming, never once guessing that his life could be in danger. And I, 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 I hear that urgency, and I think, man, you know what? You know what Jesus would say to that? He would say, live your life so that you are ready Because you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when your life will end. You don't know when Jesus will come back. You don't know. And so live every day in such a way that if it's your last, you're ready and looking forward to what is to come. And you have nothing to fear. Live your life in such a way that you're ready. All right, let's unpack this story just a little bit. Jesus starts out by sort of painting a picture or talking about two different kinds of people. Jesus says, you know, some people are sort of like that rich man that he describes. We are living for today. We're focused on stuff and money and pleasure and houses and cars and toys and whatever. We're focused on me and my, focused on our own families, what it is that we like, what it is we want to do, whatever is best for us. Our focus is on today. It's on the here and now. We're living for ourselves. We are the one that's in charge we get to decide the rules, and anything that makes me happy is fair game. Interestingly enough, you know who scholars think the rich man represents in this story? It's probably not who you think. Most scholars would have consensus, they think when Jesus is describing this rich person, he's describing the religious people that were in the crowd. He's describing the Pharisees. He's describing the people that you would think, well, they're close to God. They say, you know what? You can go to church, you can sit in the chair or in the pew, you can the thing day in and day out, you can be around the real thing, and it can still be all about you, right? It can still be me, 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 me. It can still be about what I want in my life. It can be about the here and now and building up your own kingdom. Is there a gulp in the room? Like a collective gulp. I prefer it when we're talking about it out there, right? But this this is where it starts to get personal. Jesus is saying, man. It could be you. I could be describing you. Some of us in this room are like the rich man, and we have built our lives all around our favorite thing. Right? Me. It's all about me. It's all about I go to church because it's good for me, right? It makes me feel happy. It makes me feel whatever. Or maybe it's the right thing to do, so I go there and I do that thing. I go on on Monday and Tuesday, and I go to work because it's about me. It's about my career and my achievement, and my right? It's about me. I'm living for the here and now. I'm living for me. He says that's one way to live. And he would go on in the story. I just right, say if if you if you find identification with the rich man, then there should be flags going up for you all over the place because you're not ready. Even if you go to church, even if you even if you're you know, doing some token good things in the here and there, like, man, you should, there should be reason for concern. Because if we are living for the here and now, if we are betting it all on building our own kingdom and getting whatever it is that we want now, man, there's reason for concern. But that's one picture that he paints, right? The second picture that he paints there's a second group of people, and they're characterized more by this man's servant, the, the, the guy in the story named as Lazarus. They aren't living so much for today; instead, they are hoping and living and just, you know, hoping with all their hope, with all their might, that there is a better day coming. They are living in light of eternity. They've decided that this world is not where it's at, but they want to they want to know and hope and be headed for. Heaven in the hereafter. They're betting that that life there will be infinitely better than life in the here and now. And so they are living to that and they're setting their sights on God. They are setting their sights on following him, on receiving him, on living life with him so that one day they are welcomed home into an eternal destiny. Their attitude is sort of like, so what if he comes back today? So what if my life ends today? It makes no difference because I'm ready. I am waiting. I am hoping. I am looking forward to that day when I can stand before Jesus and I can be welcomed home. These people have received God's grace. They've received his forgiveness that's available through Christ. They are betting their lives. They're betting their eternities. They're betting they're all on Jesus. He's forgiven them for their sins. And they are doing their best to follow him every moment of every day. They're committed to living as servants of Jesus. They are following him. They are living as much as they can to please him. And they are longing for the day when they can go home and they can hear the words of the one they love saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. They're ready. The Bible indicates that oftentimes These servants, these people that are sort of like Lazarus, they end up missing out on some of the temporary pleasures. They end up missing out on some of the things that the here and now has to offer. Instead, for instance, of squandering all of their money on toys and stuff, everything that the culture says that we need, they may be gladly and joyfully investing in uh, God's work through the local church. They might be joyfully and significantly investing uh, in, in those that are in need. They're always serving and helping others. Their lives are characterized by their faith being lived out in the real world. They're giving their money away. They're giving their time away to him. Rather than spending everything on their own pleasure and leisure and even on their own families, these people are often investing their lives in serving God by serving other people. Do they invest in their own relationship with God? Of course they do. Do they invest in their own families? Of course they do so much of their lives is really about God and others. You see it leak out in what they say. You see it leak out in what they give. You see it leak out in how they serve, in how they love. It's visible. It's tangible in every aspect of their lives. That's sort of the norm. They're discovering and using their spiritual gifts around the church. They're investing in ministries that meet the needs of the very poorest of the poor, and those in the margins. They're building relationships with neighbors, with co-workers, trying to influence people and those around them towards Jesus. And they're doing it not to try and earn God's favor. These people have have decided long ago they could never do enough to earn God's favor. Instead, they have received it freely from Him through Jesus. They they have cried out and said, God, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and save me? These people are operating from that place of acceptance, from that place of grace. They are living it out in their day-to-day today, not to earn God's favor, but as expression of worship, expression of pleasure for what God has already done for them. For those that are identifying with those with, with with those kinds of people, with Lazarus type people. Jesus says, Man, you have nothing to fear, right? There is a great <clears throat> expectation, there is great anticipation. Of what is to come because you have lived your one and only life in a way that you're ready for that day. That you're longing, that you're anxiously expecting and awaiting his return. Well, back to the story. What happens? Both Lazarus and the rich man die, right? The uh, mortality rate still hovers around 100%, right? So, where all of us are going to face that. All of us are going to die at some point. Both of these men die. The servant who is living for eternity dies, and when uh, he gets what. When he gets to, to uh, the pearly gates, he gets welcomed home to paradise, and it's amazing. He discovers that it was indeed worth it to live for Christ this, in this life, and to get welcomed into eternal dwellings from here on out. He discovers that the small sacrifices in this life uh, were nothing compared to how great eternity is with Jesus. The rich man also dies. The man who had spent his one and only life, his entire life, living for himself, living for today, never preparing for eternity, he dies and ends up in hell. Now, this isn't, I don't think, his primary point, but at least one of the sort of off-handed points of the story that Jesus is telling is don't be fooled, right? Don't be fooled. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. Is real. Hell is real. Right? They're literal places. There is a heaven and a hell, and each one of us is headed for one or the other. Those of us that are living for today, living for the here and now only, are not prepared. And Jesus is saying, hey, Amen. You do not want to be facing that reality. You do not want to, you do not want to experience what this rich man is experiencing. Instead, you want to be welcomed home like Lazarus. You want to. You want to receive and live in God's grace and forgiveness. You want to live for eternity. You want to live your life in such a way that you are ready. So he's saying, don't be fooled by this world. Don't be fooled by all the stuff that's trying to win your heart and your attention. Another day is coming, Jesus is saying. Heaven and hell are real, so be ready. I heard a quote once that uh, that put it this way. I think, it's, I think it's right on. It says, there's only two types of people in the world. There are those people who in this life bow their knees before Jesus and say, Lord, may your will be done. Would you have your way in me? Would you live your life in me? I need you, Jesus. So only two types of people, those in this life, say, Lord, may your will be done. And those who again and again and again throughout the course of their life say no, 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 no to God. I don't want your way. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your plans. I don't want whatever. They turn their backs on God again and again. saying, say, leave me alone. And at the end of their lives, God says with tears in his eyes, he says, okay, may your will be done. It's sort of the urgency, sort of the feel of this story of Jesus. He says, he we turn it in his Heaven and hell are real, and we are, in this life, we will make our decision of which one we're preparing for, of which one we're headed for, and Jesus is saying, live your life in such a way that you're ready, that you know, that you know, that you know that you're headed for heaven, not because you deserve it, not because you are it, but because you are trusting your life, you're betting your eternity on Jesus and what he has done for you. Jesus says, you don't want that second option. You don't want to experience what the rich man experiences. You don't want to go there. It's no laughing matter. So be ready, he says. We've talked about before um, the difference between justice and mercy and grace. Right? Justice is getting what you deserve. We've said mercy is getting less than you deserve. And and grace is getting way infinitely better than you deserve. Because we're talking about justice in this context justice getting what we deserve you know the bible says we deserve for our rebellion. if if you are a human being then the bible would say i think our experience would agree that we have rebelled against god that we have turned our back on god has anybody here ever known what you should do and done the opposite (laughs) welcome to humanity right we're all in the same boat hell we're talking about is not It's not unjust. It's getting exactly what we deserve. Because we have again and again and again pushed God away and gone our own way and said, I don't want you, Jesus. I don't want your way. I don't want your will. We have turned our back. And the the Bible says the wages of sin, the penalty for our sin is death. It's separation from God. That is what we deserve. But here's the thing. Christ has made another way. This is the good news, right? This is the good stuff. Because of his great love for you, because he cares so much about you that he couldn't stand to be separated from you for eternity, he has done everything possible to open up another way. He came from heaven to earth. He lived the perfect life, the, the life without sin, the life that you and I should have lived. He lived in our stead. And then he took our sin upon him, and he died in our place. He rose again, and now he says, you know what? Because I have died for your sins, I have paid the ultimate penalty for your sin. I have conquered hell. I have conquered death. I have conquered sin. And now he says, I will freely forgive and treat with grace those who come and trust me in this life. Those who come and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and forgive me? He says, I will wipe away your sin. I will make it just as if you never sinned. I will bring you home to the Father. I will pour out my love and forgiveness on you. I will put my spirit inside of you. I will remake you. I will make you new. I'll restore you to the way you was always meant to be. I will treat you with grace, if you'll just receive it, if you'll just receive it. So Jesus says, so be ready, receive that grace now, accept it now, prepare your life, prepare your heart for eternity. You know, the Old Testament, um, God sent prophets to, to God's people again and again and again over and over. And you pretty much, if you read through the Old Testament, you recognize the same story, right? Over and over and over. The people have this propensity to go their own way, to rebel against God. They they do pretty good for a while, and at some point, they end up turning their backs on God. They say, no, no more of that. We're going to go our own way. We're going to play it safe. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to whatever. And, uh, and God lets them feel the consequences for their sin, right? They kind of hit bottom, and they're like, oh, no, what have we done? And, uh, God, in those moments, sends the prophet, sends a prophet to them, and says, You know what? Judgment is coming. This is not leading where you want it to go. It's going to be bad for you, right? And, and he says, Instead, if you would just turn back, and if you'd repent, is the big prophet word, right? If you would repent, if you would turn away from your sin, away from your rebellion, and you would turn back to God, He'd be merciful. Throughout the book of Luke and what you're going to read in this upcoming week in chapters 9 through 13 as you read through this You're going to see over and over and over again Jesus playing this sort of prophetic role even in chapter 16 that we're looking at today Right, you're seeing him in the role of the prophets saying, you know what? If you, if you live your life in such a way that you're not ready, it's gonna be bad for you, right? This is not, we're not playing games here This is not leading where you think it's going to So would you Would you repent? Would you turn back to God? Would you cry out for for mercy and for forgiveness? Would you let Him restore you and bring you home? Man, it's good stuff if we'll receive it. Live your life in such a way that you're ready to turn home and find grace. Let me give you just a couple of quick observations. Uh, Two other things from the story first one is this, starting in verse 24. It says, the rich man calls out to Abraham to have pity on him. Could you send Lazarus down to just dip his finger in water to cool my tongue? I'm in agony, he says. Could you sort of lighten my sentence, is kind of what he's saying. Could you you make it a little bit easier for me? And, And you can kind of feel and kind of get this picture of what's happening. The rich man is, at this point, he's in hell, right, in the story. And you can see this starting to dawn on him like oh, man, this is so much worse than what I expected. I had no idea that it was going to be this bad. It's, it's unbearable. Now, whether or not the fire and the flames and the burning sulfur are literal or figurative that the Bible paints, I, really, I don't know. But the, but the picture is clear. That's told again and again and again and again and again. The, the imagery that's used is this is the worst thing you can imagine. You don't want to go there. You don't want anybody you've ever met to end up there. And so, would you be ready? The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of grace. Today is the day of forgiveness. The Savior has come for you and he's come for me. And those of us that receive that in the here and now will face him one day as Savior. Those who are unprepared in this life will face him one day as the judge. And Jesus is saying, you don't want that. You don't want to have to stand there for Before we had to judge you on your own. Because justice would be more than you could bear. So would you turn home again? Would you repent? Would you turn back home? And would you receive forgiveness? You can kind of just hear it in the rich man's voice. Sort of this regret, this, this realization of where he is and where he's going to be for all eternity. You can just kind of hear him say, if only I would have known. If only if only I would have recognized that this place was real. If only I would have known that, you know, in that short existence on earth, if I would have opened up my heart and life to Christ, if I would have received his grace, if only I would have known I would have done it in hindsight, right? I I wish I could go back and undo what's been done, but I can't is telling us this story so that you and I have the opportunity to do what the rich man could not. We can receive the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus for free because of what he did for us on the cross. We can live our lives with him. We can be ready. We can prepare ourselves so that we can know that we know that we know that we have a glorious future awaiting us. An amazing future in heaven with him. You and I can know that today. Jesus doesn't tell us a story to make us afraid. He tells us a story so that we don't have to be afraid one day. Because we don't have to question or worry about our standing before God if we have put our faith and trust in him. Friends, let me just say, if you haven't done that before, if you don't know that you know that you know, that you are in right standing with God, if you don't know that your sins have been forgiven and washed away, if you're not assured that, that you are headed for a happily ever after with him in heaven, then I would encourage you today before you leave this place to open up your heart, open up your soul and your life to him and cry out, Jesus, I need you. Would you come? Would you wash me? Would you come and forgive me? Would you take away my sins? Would you forgive me for my selfishness? Would you forgive me for all the times that I have pushed you away and gone my own? own direction, and instead would you bring me home, would you restore me? Would you fill me with your joy and your life and your spirit? Would you lead me from this point forward and be my God? If you've never done that before, or if you have, but you're still not 100% sure, I just encourage you to do that today. Open up your heart and life Him. Second observation, I think the rich man's next thought, his very next thought, after he asked it if his sentence could get it a little easier, his very next thought is, oh my word, my family, my friends. There are those back on earth that have no idea. They aren't just living for themselves, they're living for today. They're just living for their life on earth. And he says, Could could you send somebody back to warn them? Could you you send somebody to let them know heaven and hell are real? Could you send somebody back to let them know that a savior has come for them? Could you send somebody back to warn them and encourage them, be ready, do whatever you have to do to prepare your heart and your soul and your life for the year after? And Jesus in the story ends up making it pretty clear it's too late for him. There's not a way that he can do it. But I'll tell you what, again, Jesus is telling this story to people like you and me. If you are here and you have opened up your heart and life to Christ, then I think the second, the second thing that comes to mind for us is who is there that God has specifically put in your sphere? could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It could be your mom or your dad. It could be your kids. It could be your neighbors, your coworkers. Who is around you that more than anything else, the biggest need that they have, Is to get right with God, is to be ready, is to be prepared, is to be have your sins forgiven and to be brought back home into right relationship with Jesus. Who is there around you that God is nudging you and speaking to you and prompting you and saying, Would you go to them? If we love God and we've received that from Him, if we love those around us, how could we not warn them? How could we not point them back to Jesus? Something better in this life, and there is certainly something better in life to come. I wonder who it is that God might be nudging you and saying, "Man, prepare them, warn them, I mean, be ready, but help them be ready as well." One more story, and then we'll wrap up with some application. Uh, I read this week uh, a, a part of a book called "To Hell and Back." It's from a Dr. Rawlings. Uh, who was the primary doctor for the chiefs of staff uh, a decade or two ago uh, for the U.S. government. It's stories and research that he's done on near-death experiences. Now, keep this in mind. This doctor was an atheist at the time of this story. This is a story that changed his life. I I won't get into all the medical things, partially because I don't really understand exactly what he's saying, but partially because it's a long story. But this patient, basically, is having a heart attack Uh, and and a problem is occurring while he's on the table with the doctor. This doctor began to work on him and says this, using a large, bore needle, I entered a big vein underneath the collarbone. Then I threaded the pacemaker wire in the right side of the heart and attached the wire to a pulse generator box to initiate every beat, not missing a stroke. But blood, for some reason, started spurting out everywhere. Whenever I would stop pushing on the man's chest, in order to adjust the pacemaker, the heart would stop. Charlie's eyes would roll back, and he would again sputter. He would turn blue, and he would begin to convulse with, with bare hands, just like you can. I would reach over and restart his heart again, which is just crazy. he pushed down on his heart, and again, he would come to. But this time, he came to, screaming these words over and over and over. He started screaming, don't stop. I'm in hell, that's what he'd say. I'm in hell, over and over. Hallucinations, I thought, the doctor says. Most victims would say, take your big hands off me, you're breaking my ribs. But this man was the opposite. He would say, for God's sake, don't stop. Don't you understand every time you stop, I'm in hell. When he asked me to pray for him, I felt downright insulted. I said with a sneer, shut up. I'm a doctor, not your priest. But the nurses gave me that look <laughs> that they give you sometimes, that expectant look, and he says, I don't know, what would you do? He said, "I remember, this guy's an atheist. He says, at this point, I, comp- I composed a make-believe prayer. I just made something up. And so I said, say it, Charlie, say it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Go on and say it. And Charlie repeated it. He went on and said, keep me out of hell, and if I live, Jesus, I'm on the hook. I'm all yours. All the the time, he's yelling, I'm in hell, don't stop. He finally, he repeats the prayer, and then the doctor says, then a very, very strange thing happened that has changed my life forever. He said, a religious conversion took place. I've never witnessed one before. He was no longer the wild-eyed, screaming lunatic who had been fighting for his life. Instead, now, he was suddenly relaxed and calm and cooperative. This atheist doctor was so shaken by this whole experience that he began to do research into near-death experiences that others had had, and specifically those who had maybe gotten a glimpse of hell instead of heaven. And all of a sudden, this doctor started checking out Christianity. The story goes on to tell how this doctor gave his life to Christ. He received God's grace, and now he's spending his life warning others. In fact, he's telling everybody he can possibly tell about the reality of heaven hell and how we need to live our lives in such a way that we are ready because it matters. Friends, according to Jesus, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a horrible place. And it's like dozens and dozens and dozens of different times in the Gospels, Jesus pleads with us. You don't want to go there. Make sure you live your life in such a way that you're ready and in such a way that you are warning and helping others to be ready for eternity, because this stuff is for real. Make sure you're living your life in such a way that you're ready to meet Jesus, that you know him as your Savior, so that you don't have to one day stand alone before him as the judge. Follow him now so that you don't have to fear him later. Be ready hit the pause button and just say, let me go backwards and set up the uh, the readings that you're going to go through this week throughout the book of Luke. You're going to see this tension play out all over the place, this tension again between Jesus the Savior, Jesus the loving Savior, and Jesus the truth-telling back and forth. So much so that as you read through it, you might think, this is a little bit schizophrenic, right? Like, because there's, there's going to be moments like in, in uh, Luke 12, 32, where Jesus says these words, do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Right? Doesn't that sound awesome? Man, that's going to go on the wall. That's going to be a highlighted one in the Bible. That's going to be great. Three verses later, I kid you not. He starts in this passage, that, that straight from Jesus' lips, this this passage about being on your guard uh, and being ready because there is judgment awaiting those that aren't. You see, you see this, this whole tension back and forth. Again, Jesus saying, I'm gracious and I'm loving. I am the savior. But he's also saying, man, but this, this heaven and hell thing, this is real life stuff. Make sure you live your life in a way that you're ready. You're gonna see this urgency play out time and time and time again. You're going to hear this urgency, these warnings from Jesus' lips saying, be on your guard against hypocrisy, against just man-made religion. Be on guard against it. Be on guard against greed. Why? Because another day is coming. Live your life in view of eternity. Don't set your eyes here. Don't just get completely focused on the here and now because another day is coming. Would you live for eternity? Would you live your life for me, Jesus? tomorrow in such a way that you know and you're assured that ha- heaven is getting, is waiting you something better is in store i mean even the title of chapter 13 if you got the niv the, the title they gave it is repent or perish <laughs> if that doesn't sound like a, the words of a prophet or or some sort of southern evangelist or something i don't know what right would burn, you know kind of thing. It's, it's that kind of a thing And you're going to read this and think, like, oh my gosh but again, you got to hear it through that lens. It's a warning. Where Jesus said? So be ready. Live your life in such a way that you're ready. For heaven's sake, literally, right? For heaven's sake, repent. Turn back to God and receive his grace. Come home. Make every effort, Jesus says to go through the narrow door. Not the common path, but the rare path of living for Christ. Because another day is coming. You hear it over and over and over again. This, this urgency to be ready. So that's what you're going to be reading. That's where we're going this week. Let me just do, uh, just kind of review and do three application points, and we're done. The first one is, should be clear, right? If you don't know what I'm going to say, you haven't been paying attention, right? But the first thing is, are you ready? Right? Are you living your life in such a way that you know you know where you're sticking with Christ? You know that you have been forgiven, that you have been brought back home. If not, do it today. There is no more important decision in life than where you're standing with Christ. Open up your heart and you put your trust and your faith in who He is and what He's done for you. Have you asked Him to come and rescue you from your sin and lead you from this point forward? If not, friends, do it this morning. Second thing: for those of us that have, for those of us that are living our lives with Christ, that are following Him, that are that are hoping and clinging to Him as our Savior, and hoping and longing. For that day when we will be welcomed home, can I just say, for those of us that, that have that trust, that have that assurance, first of all, let me say, you have nothing to fear. Sometimes we get weak out <laughs> as we think about uh, death, as we think about the afterlife, as we think about whatever we can make try and make it a work space kind of thing. Well, if my good works don't outweigh my bad works, I mean, then no. There's only where you stand with Jesus and nothing else. If you are putting your hope in as your Savior, then you are, you have a glorious future. You are headed for heaven. You are forgiven. You are a part of his family. Live in that. Let that bring peace to your soul. Let that bring hope to your life because a better day is coming. And the third thing, again, I shouldn't be a big surprise. Man, I wonder who there is around you. It's crazy. Father, this, this is a hard message, it's a hard topic, it's a hard picture of you, to think of you as judge and prophet to think about heaven and hell it's, it's heavy stuff, but God I pray that you would really just bring a widowing fork to our own souls these days, like right now, God that you would just let us know where we stand Father for those of us that, that if we're honest, we have to stop and say you know what, I'm not sure Right now, for those that fall in that kind of category, we just want to turn to you, Jesus. We want to open up our hearts, open up our lives, and just say, Come, Lord Jesus, come, we need you. Would you come and rescue us and forgive us for our sins? Would you come and wash that away and make us new? And God, with your, by the power of your spirit, with your help, we want to follow you and live with you and walk with you from this point forward. And for those of us that have already made that commitment, that that are assured that we are with you. advantage of the opportunities that you put before us. God, may we live our lives every day, every moment, in light of eternity. May we live our lives in such a way that we are always prepared, that we are always ready, that we are always looking forward to the day when we get to, we get to come home because of Jesus. Fix our eyes on